gave me a gift. He gave me a gift. I've come to believe and to see and to be convinced of this fact that everything that touches your life, my life, must first pass through God's hand. And so I see it as a gift. And the gift was a test, or we might call a trial, that I go through. Now let me say this, that I hesitated even mentioning it because there are many, when I look out and I know and understand what a lot of you have been through, I feel like mine is pale in comparison. But it is personal, you feel it more. When, it, when it's you, it's an everyday thing. And so you work through it. But God has also done something else in giving a test. Like he gives to me, God will give you a test. Along with that test, a couple more gifts. He gives us his word. He gives us his word. We just happen to be in 1 Corinthians 15. <laughs> I think, isn't that amazing? A year and a half ago, when we started going through this, God knew all along what we would all need. One of the great blessings I have in being a pastor, <clears throat> and it's a, it's a pressure, but it's a good pressure, is that every Monday morning I wake up, I'm thinking of what's next Sunday. And so I'm working through the scriptures. And the scriptures are working through me. <laughs> it's a blessing to be able to have that. So God gives us his word, and he also gives us his spirit to engage his word of what he says and what he's doing in our lives. He doesn't tell us everything. You know, I've looked through here, and I, there are a lot of things I don't know that I don't understand. But there's enough that I do. I think every one of us want to live a full, meaningful, and blessed life. We want to have our questions answered. And this, this has been true throughout history. People have questions about why is this happening? Or why isn't this happening? The Greeks were this way. Of course, the Greeks in this culture in Corinth 2,000 years ago were in love with wisdom. And we get the, the two words, love and wisdom, philosophy. We form that word philosophy. So they're, they're always thinking about what is wise. They use this technical worm called epistemological. And I know that'll make your brain hurt a little bit, but it's, it's really uh, two words. Episteme is knowledge or understanding, and logos is to reason or to debate. So you have the knowledge and debating knowledge, and this was just common for them of always discussing what wisdom is. But as big as that word is, it's probably as simple as any factory worker or farmer or uneducated person, the basic questions of life. They're all the same. They're always the same. Who am I? Where did I come from? What's the purpose of my life? Meaning, 
And where am I going to go? And every single person in the world is asking those questions. They may not form it or articulate it the same way you do, but we want to know. And God has answers. That's the good news. He has answers to all four of those questions. And many of them are answered in our passage that Dan read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is central to our whole belief system. But it is also central to how we function in our lives. And we're getting into that part, the next two times in 1 Corinthians, to me, are just magnificent in explaining some of these things. So we ask questions. We want to know things, particularly when things aren't going well. I find this, when people's lives are going well, they don't ask any questions. <laughs> when things are falling apart, we have a lot of questions. And this is the case here for the believers in the church in the city of Corinth. And so we have this text, the first verse that was read, first two verses, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? How does it happen? And the second question, with what kind of body do they come? We want to know, if we get a new body, what's it going to be like? These are good questions. But his response is a little bit startling. He says, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Which is, that's a brain twister when you think about it. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. So why did Paul call them foolish? It is not because of a lack of knowledge. Most of the time, foolishness, if you study this in the scriptures, when foolishness is called out, say in Proverbs or in the Psalms, when foolish, foolishness is called out, it's not because there's something you do not know. It is something that you do know that you're refusing to act on. Refusing to believe or refusing to act on. You see, the Greeks, they're a lot like us. We think more knowledge is going to solve the problem. Most of us know enough already, and we need to act on it. And that's really the essence of belief. We see that in, as he writes to the Galatians, we see in Psalm 14, it's really more of an act of the will than it is of more intellectual capacity. God has given you enough this morning to act on what you already know. And that is the exercise of our faith. So a thesis challenge for this passage from verse 35 to 50, I've, I've state, kind of summed it up this way. Live life now for what matters then. Live life now for what matters then. And he'll deal with this by answering these two questions. So basically that's my message. Two points, answering two questions. The first one is this, how are the dead raised? How are dead people raised? <laughs> well, that's impossible. 
It is humanly impossible. And so what God does is miraculous, the raising of the dead. There are previous resurrections. We'll read about them in the Old Testament. Jesus raised people before his resurrection. The difference is that when other people were raised from the dead, they died again. But Jesus, when he raised up from the dead, will never die again. Not only that, in the act of his resurrection made it possible for everyone to have resurrection. And we're going to see that as this unfolds. So here's what he says, and it's interesting. Death precedes life. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It must die first. And he gives the picture of a seed. You think about of a, like a corn, a kernel of corn. That's probably easier for us to imagine. That, that kernel of corn is solo. It's, it's, it's there. You see it. But it will never produce any kind of fruit. It will not grow into a, a corn stalk and have ears of corn and produce other corn unless it dies. So this is the point that, that he is making about what he accomplished, dying to bring life. But it is also a picture, it's a beautiful picture of how we live our lives. If you heard this, it's a, it seems like a contradictory statement. Um, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, or I die daily, or I die to live, or for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. All through the scriptures, he talks about dying to live. So when I die to my personal ambition, to my pride, to my, my own life, and I, I am able then to come alive to him and his life, I die to my kingdom I come alive to his kingdom. In Romans chapter 6, Paul goes into more detail on this. And he, he describes our identity with Christ. In, and it's a picture of baptism. He says, we died with him, buried with him. We will also rise with him. So when a person is baptized, you don't need to be baptized, by the way, to get to heaven. Going to heaven is by grace through faith alone. But he does command every person, once you do place your faith and trust in Christ, become a believer, I want you to stand up and let people know. It's, it's your public confession. He says, I, I don't want you to be ashamed of me. And the way we're not ashamed of him, we identify with him in this picture. Buried with him in the likeness of his death. So we die buried with him in the likeness of his death. We're raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk in newness of life. Now I would admit it'd be a lot more convenient to sprinkle or to pour. <laughs> but I can't find that in anywhere in the scripture. It'd be a lot easier to baptize a baby, which I was baptized as a baby. Many of you were baptized as a baby. I can't find that anywhere in this book. Nowhere. You say, well, why do they do that? We do a lot of things that aren't in here. <laughs> Let me just tell you. 
We are so creative of making up rules to help God out. So why baptism? It is a public declaration, I'm a Christian. I believe in Christ. And I identify with his death, his burial. My sins are gone. I'm raised up to walk in newness of life. I'm a child of God. That's why we do that. And I tell people, don't feel stressed to, oh, I got to hurry and do it before Sunday, or I got to hurry and do it. No, but it is something as you process. I like for people to become convinced that they need to do this, that they want to do this, and they're convinced from what the scripture says, not because the pastor said, you need to be baptized. Does that make sense? But this, this fits into this because the, the centrality of the whole Bible is called the gospel, the good news, is in the, these events, death, burial, resurrection. So I know I kind of sidestepped a little bit there, but, that, but to me it's central to his argument. And so when we jump down to verse 42 to 45, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. In other words, the seed is going to die. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor, death and decay, is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, who was the first man ever? Adam. The first man, Adam, became a living being. So when God breathed into Adam, his nostrils, he became a living soul. So the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, he's speaking about Christ here, became a life-giving spirit. Now, amazing contrast. Because I go back, I, I am in Adam in the sense that I have a physical body. Adam had a son who 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 had, a son who had an old son. So, a lot of generations. Don't you love reading the genealogies? You know, a lot of times we get bogged up, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. There, there is some good in that just to see how all of this has been planned out by God. And every name that you read had an entire life. <laughs> it's just, it's an amazing thing. And so what Christ does for us is far beyond what Adam did for us. Adam gave us life and existence. He also gave us a sin nature that we inherited and a destiny of death. Christ comes and he gives us a life-giving spirit and a new body that is promised. And that's how we live. We live daily by dying. I can tell you this. Every morning I get up and take a walk. And I go through this argument. Uh, because my flesh wants to be in charge and in control and rule its kingdom. 
and I want to do what I want to do. I know you're shocked to hear that. I want to do what I want to do. And I hate dying to my selfish ambition and submitting to the authority of God over my life. This isn't something that I just did one day and I'm, oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm done. Every day, every day I struggle with that. To die to self, to die to all the things that I want to do. You say, well, that, that sounds like a horrible life. It's the only way you can really live is for his authority, his kingdom, his purpose, because everything God is, everything God has planned for you is good. And everything you can come up with is not. Now, I know that, but when I get up tomorrow morning, I'm not going to feel it. So I've got to work myself back to dying to live. This is why Paul made that statement, I die daily. You know, when Jesus was walking by the seaside, and he saw these guys fishing, and I love it because it's just everyday people. He's not going to the, you know, the intellectual people or to the, the university of the day. He's going to just everyday people. And he walks by the sea and he says two words. Follow me. Now, those are loaded words. <laughs> you say, well, where are you going? He didn't say that. They followed him. It's an everyday submission to follow, not to lead, to follow. This is why I think in Christian leadership, when I would say training young men for ministry, I said, I don't want to teach you how to lead. I want to teach you how to follow. Because if you learn how to follow Christ, you will be a good leader. We put so much into you know, all the strategic things about being a great leader, having a great personality, and, you know, having your plan, you know, have your plan, work your plan, all that. You guys that are in business, you understand women, you and your companies, you understand what I'm talking about. And he, it, it, is, it is so simple. Follow me. He didn't say, come up with a great idea, make it work. No, follow me. It's the simplest command and all of scripture and the most difficult because it grates against everything in my being that wants to have it my own way so when we follow him we we follow his path okay we follow his path and it, it is as he described like a seed we come back to that illustration because you're seeing the seed throughout it and I make reference to John 12, 24. Uh, and, and this is what Jesus said in, in John 12. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So follow this with me. The seed, your life, is alone. That's it. But if it dies... What springs forth? A plant. And the plant, new life, 
It has new life when it dies to, I'll figure my own way to get to heaven. When I die to that, realize Jesus is the only way, I spring forth a new life. And the new life, if it is genuine new life, will produce fruit. That's the evidence. We've, ta we've talked about this in chapter 13, the fruit of the Spirit is love. We, we go through all of these characteristics. And here's the exciting thing. <laughs> it produces many more seeds. So you go from one seed to a plant life producing fruit to many seeds. And this is how the gospel expands. This is the resurrection life um, impacted. And I, and I, and I, I thought of this, you know, what can I do for God? What can I do for God? What can I, you know, I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. I'd like to, just die, just die and let God do it. Because if you die to self and come alive to him, your life will produce fruit. And you say, well, I'm just doing this little thing. I'm, I'm, I'm so small. Now, and this, this is kind of the point of the mustard seed when he talks about how small a mustard seed is. Or any of these seeds are so small, they're so insignificant. What difference can that make? Well, it'd be like going through an Iowa cornfield and seeing rows and rows and rows and rows, rows of not just plants and corn, but seeds who will make rows and rows and rows and rows. You see, there's no limit to what God can do through one seed that will die. So the first Adam became a living being, the second Adam a life-giving spirit. So how is this done? By Christ's resurrection. Your new life, your fruit, the seed spread, your effectiveness comes from Christ's resurrection. It's miraculous. The second question they have is what, with what kind of body do they come? What is this body going to look like? Well, I can tell you this, it's better than what you have right now. <laughs> I think that would be an encouragement to us. In fact, the older you get, the more you appreciate that fact. And, you know, my recent uh, bouts with hearing is, is, I laugh, but it's just one more thing. Now, when you're 16, 17, 18, 21, 22, you don't even think about it. You don't even think about it. You know, after a decade or two, you start to creak a little bit when you walk and you notice things. You're filling out the, the form for your insurance and and have you ever had, it used to be, no, 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 no. Now it's every other one you're checking. <laughs> you are dying. Your body is dying. I may recover some of my hearing. I hope I do. But at the end of the day, I'm going to die. You're going to die unless we're privileged to be taken up 
to the clouds with the Lord. That could happen. That could happen today. God makes no mistakes in what he does. So what is this body going to look like? So in verse 37, he says, and, and what you sow is not the body that is to be. So what is dying today is not what is going to be. It is a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. And then he talks about the different kinds of bodies. Not all flesh is the same. You have the human flesh, animal flesh, birds, fish, heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, the glory of one, uh, the sun, the moon, all different. Here's, here's the point that I think we come to understand. Everything God created, he created with glory. It was beautiful. It was magnificent. It was perfect. It was flawless. It was amazing. It had glory. So whether it's a flower or the sun or an animal or the human body, it was glorious because God is glorious and everything he does is glorious. That's what's so, so incredible. And each one had a different kind of glory. You can't tell from looking at the seed what the plant will look like. So I can't tell you what I'm going to look like. I just know it's going to be an improvement. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have done gardening, but, and I've, I didn't grow up gardening, but when Diane and I first moved into our home in Arvada, this we just got married, we had a big backyard, I started plowing up the backyard, I really overdid it. I didn't realize you gotta weed everything. But, so I had someone helping me and so we went out and got seeds. And we just, I just started planting the seeds and then they said, oh, you need to put a stake in the ground and put this, the seed packet there so you know what's coming up. At <laughs> all, oh, yeah, you don't just kinda throw them all out because you have no idea what's coming out of the ground from the seed. Rarely can you tell. And so we, we can't tell completely what will it look like. So we're talking about God made this world perfect, glorious. Every part of it was glorious. That's the beginning of the story. The end of the story is God is going to restore this restoration let me kind of fill in this and i know i've done this before but i think this is good to understand you have you have creation perfection unimaginable we can't even comprehend how wonderful it was that's the first setting or the first scene i got four scenes here that's scene one scene two is the fall adam and eve sinned against god Sin comes into the world, the body starts to die, we start to decay, evil is present everywhere around us. We're, the pain, the suffering, the sickness, the sorrow, all that we're seeing in the world today, the wars, the COVID stuff, all the junk in life happens here. Don't blame God. You say, if God, 
if God really loved us, he wouldn't let that happen. Well, God created Adam and Eve to have relationship with you, a love relationship. And you can't have relationship unless you have free will, unless you can choose. Would you agree with that? Otherwise, you have a bunch of robots. So God gave Adam and Eve a choice. You say, well, they blew it. Wouldn't you know it? Yeah, God knew it. And so immediately in chapter 3, when they send, verse 15, he announces his redemption plan. So you have creation, fall, immediately step in to redemption. And this is God's plan to make things right. So all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, all that you're reading through, I mean, from... From, you go from chapter 3 all the way through to the time of Christ where this redemption is complete. His death, burial, and resurrection are completing a whole centuries of leading up to this redemption. And that's taken place. And the next part on the horizon is restoration. Now, I can't prove this, but I think it's going to be more spectacular than the first one because it's been redeemed. I think how amazing creation was, the fall, redemption, that this restoration is going to be so amazing. And it's not going to be that God's going to vaporize everybody and start all over. No, he is restoring. That's what redemption is, restoring. Everything, animals, trees, it's, it's, a new, it's a new earth, and we, we will have new bodies. I think it's going to be <laughs> amazing. I think, I think that if we'd stop and think about it, it would be helpful for us, even though it's hard to comprehend, beyond what we could ask or think. So, what will you see in heaven? And I'm just going from what I'm reading in Scripture. You're going to see Christ, which will be overwhelming to see him. He is the exact representation of God, the Father, in all of his glory and magnificence, all of his power and his might, his incredible love, his compassion. It will be like seeing someone you have longed to see like never before, to see him. You'll see your friends and loved ones. So I didn't know that. Yes, you will see. You say, well, we know anybody in heaven? Absolutely. And I think there's enough in Scripture when we read about the rich man and Lazarus, they recognize each other. You read about the transfiguration when Jesus is on the mountain. He is with Moses and Elijah. People are recognizing each other. You read through the Bible, you're going to see people recognize each other. And you know what? The older you get, the more people you have there than here. <laughs> and I can't wait to see their faces. You'll see those that have gone before us. You've heard about. You know, Moses and Elijah. You think about, or, or people that you, you've just read in scriptures or, or heard in their life, you're going to be able to see them, to recognize them. 
Here's what else you'll see, a perfect world. Now, I think, and this is the way I am, if, if something is perfect, it's without flaw, I can tend to think it's like a surgical operating room. It's sterile. Don't most of us, when we close our eyes and think of heaven, think about a bunch of clouds and clean and white and harps and white clothes? I don't see that anywhere. It's going to be, it's not going to be up in the clouds, it's going to be here on earth. It's going to be a restored earth that is paradise. It is para perfect mountains, rivers, streams. A greater glory, I believe. What will we do in heaven? Well, I think one would be we worship we praise God at Thanksgiving, celebration, feasting, singing, dancing, laughter. All of these, I see, is what we'll do. Is, it's a celebration. It's a celebration. Without any family drama. <laughs> you know, you think about, I've often thought, what will we not see? Potholes, traffic jams, hospitals. And you're not going to be listening to me preach. You're not going to be in church. You ever think about some of these things? Because we're just, we're going to enjoy the presence of God and have perfect community. Anything that is painful, sorrow, sickness, death, is gone. I was down at the hospital at a CU uh, um, medical center down, down in Aurora, and I'm thinking, man, these buildings the big cancer building and everything, all that's gone. I mean, we don't have any of that. We're also going to have enjoyment of all the creation because God created all of it for our enjoyment. Think back to Adam and Eve. He created all this for their enjoyment. We're going to have rest. Revelation 14, Hebrews 4. We're going to be able, we're not stressed, we're not like tired and dragging. And we're going to have work to do. Have you ever had a job that you just loved? Not many people do. A job that I just, I just love doing this. I can't believe I get paid for this. Well, when we get to heaven, we are going to have responsibilities similar to what Adam and Eve had because he said, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to manage everything. God gave Adam and Eve responsibility to do these things. So work was not the curse. It was the sweating of the brow, the thorns and the thistles, all that, the, the bad stuff. So we're going to be able to get up and say, I've got, I've got something to do. Now, since I'm not going to be able to be a pastor, um, I thought about this. In fact, this week I thought, what will I do if I'm not a pastor? Because God's going to give me some assignment and I want to manage the horses. Now, I thought, you know what, that, that would that'd be kind of like my dream job. I don't know what I'll end up doing. I won't be doing what I'm doing now. We'll have relationships that are full and meaningful. We'll not have stress with our family. And we're going to enjoy our home. You know, it's interesting if you read the old King James Version. It says, in my father's house are many 
mansions. And then some newer translations say dwelling places. Well, it, it's interesting because he has, he has many rooms. He said, I have many rooms, which means like it's part of, of something together. And you'll have a, in a sense, like a very intimate, enjoyable setting. And then he uses the word mansion. It's like, it's like a spread. It's like, so it's like both. You have a, a very intimate place that's part of something bigger, and it's beyond what you could think. And then we ask, who will be in heaven? I think simply stated, all those who put their faith in Christ believed, all those who believed. Um, you may be surprised who's there. <laughs> uh, you may be surprised who's not there. Probably there are going to be people surprised that you're there. <laughs> what will your body be like? And we see this through a number of texts. Tim Keller says, you know, the Greek mind was that the, the body was evil and the mind was good. But he said that Paul overturns all this. He says, someday even our bodies will be totally renewed and made eternally alive by the Spirit of God. So Jesus is saying, your body will be like Jesus' body. It's a resurrected body. It is a perfect body, flesh and bones, eating, people touching you. There's a part that says, don't touch me yet. I'm not a son to the Father, but that's not speaking that he's not really physical. It, it's going to be a, a perfect body. It'll be recognizable, even though you'll be, it'll be much, much improved, recognizable. I see a resemblance. <laughs> yeah, we could go off on that a bit. It'll be perfect, and it will not age. It will not decay. It will not age, it will not decay. Now I know there is a lot we don't know, but this we do know. So what is the point of Paul writing this? I think people are dealing with a lot of hurt and pain and sorrow and disappointment and sickness and disease and tragedy today, out there and in here, and here. And, and we tend to get discouraged. Someone has asked me, and I mentioned this in my letter, have you gotten discouraged? I'm, I know I'm gonna struggle with that, I'm human. You get disappointed, we struggle. But with all of this going on, you'd want to, people feel just like giving up. Just yesterday, I learned of a young man uh, involved in an accident and suddenly, unexpectedly passed away. It just seems like it's just boom, boom, boom. And I was asked the question, would you be willing to do the service? 
And I would say this, and for any of you who will hear this, I will always be willing to do that. I won't do every wedding. <laughs> I will always do something like this. Because you have an opportunity to give people hope and perspective. So three ways, and this is my conclusion, three ways this chapter helps us live now for what matters then. One, it gives perspective. When you read about this resurrected body, it gives me perspective of all evil that's going on, sickness, disease, pain, sorrow, death, that it is temporary. This is not, you know, if I'm, I'm dying of something, it's, it's temporary, perspective. It also gives you perspective of all your stuff. You know what I'm talking about, stuff? You know, it's going to be like asphalt, you know, in heaven because the streets are paved with gold in heaven. <laughs> so collecting gold here, stuff. Secondly, it gives us hope. It gives us perspective on all of our trials in light of eternity. It gives us hope and anticipation J.C. Ryle, 19th century theologian, said, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So we anticipate. We, we think about it. Of all the things we've shared today, we are looking forward to that. It gives us hope. And then finally, it gives us purpose. What am I living for? What am I living for? And I think we need to be reminded of that. So what gifts has God given you in the last week, two weeks? A test? He's, I know he has. Some of your tests are much more challenging than mine. He's also given you his word 1 Corinthians 15, he's given to you. He's given you his spirit to process through that. So my challenge is we look up to him. We look forward to him. We have our perspective. We have our hope and anticipation. And we have a reason to live for him. Live now for what matters then. Father, thank you for your word and just the encouragement we receive from it today. When we struggle to believe, help us remember what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen.